Some kids never grow up. Yeah, no, that's not fair. I want one too. Now look what you started, Brandon. In the book of James, there's a little verse that says this, that uh, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's always been kind of an interesting verse, because the opposition to that which is proud, uh, it feels weird, because you, you see grace, and grace is supposed to be undeserved, and so it's kind of a, I don't understand why grace would not be given to everyone. And as I looked in uh, Matthew chapter 9, I began to realize that there are several things uh, that happen in this chapter. And I want you to see if you can follow them with me. I'll just allude to each one. Here we go. The first one is kind of a quick summary. Uh, In chapter 9, verse 2, it says that there's a certain sick man laying on his mat, and Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Now that's the grace. It's being offered, okay? Now here is the grace not received. Watch the next verse. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. And so grace offered is not necessarily grace received. All right? In fact, the very grace that was meant to open their eyes to help them understand, they are standing literally sealing themselves off from it. And so in their mind, rather than seeing God in Christ forgiving the sins of this man, they shouted a curse on him in the sense, you are blaspheming. They committed that deadly sin of telling Christ himself, that he's blaspheming against God the Father. And Jesus goes on from that point and he says, Why do you guys entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? And he proceeds to try and break into that point in their life. Now it goes down a little bit farther. And the second little indentation, if you're following along in your Bible, is the calling of Matthew. And Matthew is a tax collector. And Jesus comes walking along to that spot. It's actually tax farmer. He plows and digs up and grows tax. I don't know. It's kind of an interesting Greek word. But uh, he calls Matthew from this spot where Matthew was. And Matthew, it says, got up and followed him. And later that day, he, Jesus, was eating at Matthew's house. And again, I want you to look at this in verse uh, uh, 10 and 11. Nine, chapter 9, verse 10 and 11. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners... And the word sinner there means continuous, okay? I mean, visibly participating in this kind of situation, okay? Um, Came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this grace, God willing to eat with the likes of you and me. God willing to eat with these tax collectors and these advocates and these people that are caught in their sin. God willing to enter into that, what did they respond with? When the Pharisees saw that, they asked, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Again, the grace resisted, the grace not ministered to, the grace not received. All of that does not enter into that, those Pharisees' lives 
because it did not enter into their mindset. It didn't enter into the way and the scope of what they thought should be happening. And so the grace was being poured out, sinners were being blessed, but the Pharisee were holding that against, and that's where that resistance and that process of resistance takes place. The next one comes down a little bit further. And uh, uh, you can uh, find it here with Jesus, uh, John's own disciples come. And now you've got to understand a little of this in context. John is in jail probably, and his disciples are hurting. Uh, he's not with them. And so, as which is reasonable in the context of this culture, mourning and fasting and, and, and seeking after God to bring John out of jail seems appropriate to them. Plus, they're asking a very probing question because John's in jail because of this Jesus character. In other words, John is not just in jail. The one they follow, John's disciples, are not looking at Jesus going, how come if he is everything John said he was, he's not bringing John out of jail, right? You've always had those questions, and people have kind of spit that up into your face probably at one time. Is, if your God's so great, how come my friend is sick? If your God's so strong, why did my friend die? If your God's so good, you're right, those questions. Well, like it or not, that happens to all of us, and this is, is part of the, the process. And so they ask uh, this question, okay, came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? And they're complaining. Jesus responds again, and this is a part of I want, I want you to be aware of, with this kind of interesting little section. And he says, how can they fast when the bridegroom is still there? I mean, their buddy is still present with them. Why would they be mourning and fasting? All right? I'm still here. So he sets this up and he makes them aware that there's no way, uh, if you look there in the, the phrase, uh, the little phrase up there, the guests and the bride, uh, the bridegroom, they're not just the guests. They are the bridegroom's good buddies. Okay? In other words, they're celebrating. It's kind of like you might see people celebrating with someone on the, the bachelor party or celebrating in that kind of context or on the, the wedding reception, that kind of celebration. And the bridegroom is still present. He said, after I go, there'll be plenty of time for that. Then Jesus answers this very interesting question this way. He says in verse 16, if you can join me on that one, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now, here's part of the dilemma. The Pharisees and the disciples of John and maybe you and me sometimes try to take some God stuff and stick it where we think it'll fit in our lives. I have a little tear in my life, and I need some God stuff patched there. And we assume that if we take this God stuff and stick it there, then the rest of that which I am, that old piece of comfortable material that old piece of my old lifestyle, I can continue with. And what you find is patching Christ in your life that way only causes greater rift 
because as this patch begins to do what it's supposed to do, it pulls at the parts of your life that don't want to bend. And it tears and makes the work and the wound larger or the tear in the cloth larger. And then he goes into a second one, almost a duplicate of the analogy, and he says, what happens if you're trying to ferment new wine? You take this new wine, if you put it in an old wine skin, by the nature of fermentation, the wine skin must stretch. But if you don't want to stretch, if you're like the old wine skin, right? If your life goes, I and it, don't think this means you're old. The old wineskin can be 8, 10, 12, 15, 25 years old. The old wineskin simply means I don't want to stretch. I don't want to grow. I don't want to change. I don't want to give this part of my life. I don't want to release it, okay? You put that new wine, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, it is going to move. And it does one of two things. Either it explodes the wineskin and breaks you open, or you compress it so much like, you know, in the sense of what was happening to the Pharisees, none of the benefit enter your life at all. So in this challenge, here is Jesus trying to ask the question of us, are we old or new wineskins? Trying to help us understand you can't just take Christ and stick him on the old stuff. And it isn't making a critical statement about old songs or new songs. Or it's making a statement about people in life. The Pharisees were unwilling to move. They were unwilling to see. They were unwilling to hear. Their ears would not stretch. I use that term stretching you once in a while in sermons and illustrations. You've got to understand, if you're an old wineskin, you won't want to stretch. You won't want to allow that to come into that part of your life. And as a result, you and I begin to hinder the work of the Spirit. Now you get down as he goes on through this section, uh, and it's another example of the bad moment again. Jesus goes into the dead girl and the sick woman, and uh, he heals the, the sick woman. And there's a longer story that I just won't touch it right now. And the second one, the man's daughter has died, and uh, Jesus looks at these people and says, no, she's not dead, take heart. She's going to be just fine. And the ridicule and the abuse and the laughter, we see with our old wineskin eyes, we hear with our own wineskin ears, there is no way God can work in this situation or this situation can change. And Jesus does the miracle, and he looks at the, the, these people and says, uh, you know, in the crowd had been outside, he took the girl by the hand and he said, arise, and she got up. So in this chapter now, I want to set those thoughts up, and now I want to go to the text that we're working on, and Jesus went through the towns and villages. Start there with me. This is now verse 35. Jesus goes, and it talks about his ministry, traveling, wandering around. It's probably the third or fourth time he's done some of this traveling now, and it says this, uh, teaching, excuse me, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. In other words, every affliction and every handicap, we would maybe say. So it means uh, the sickness that's caused by bacteria and that kind of sickness, but then the affliction where you're crippled or you're born with something that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so as Jesus goes around doing this, it says this, he saw the crowds and this, this beautiful word of compassion, okay? Uh, compassion here literally means, I don't know if you've ever ached for someone. There's uh, 
uh, a little story. I don't oh, shoot. I bring up thoughts and a brain glitch on me. Uh, it's this great movie about the wife who dies and the girl gets the wife's heart. Help me out. What's it called? Return to me. Good chick flick. Good chick flick. There's a scene where the man's wife has died in a serious, terrible car accident, and the heart from his wife, unbeknownst to him and unbeknownst to anyone, is transplanted in this young woman's life. And uh, through a chance experience that the man and this young woman meet, and uh, again through chance experience and a little bit of on little things, uh, he finds out she has uh, his wife's heart. She, of course, leaves, and she says, I, I, I know you can't look at me. I, I just, I understand. And so she leaves, and he comes, and he talks about, as he talks to her, uh, her friends uh, at the restaurant where she works, he says, he says, I will never stop loving my first wife. But he said, my heart aches. My heart aches for this, this woman that... Uh, that he fell in love with after his wife had died. And in that moment, that ache, if you've ever seen that movie, if you understand what it means to have your bowels aching, okay, it, it, is, it is something that digs you so far down inside, so deep within you, so far inside your gut that you just ache. And then the picture I wanted you to understand, remember, what God sees looking at you and what I see looking at you are always two different things. I see someone who's young or beautiful or strong or rich or whatever I see, right? And God sees these two points, which is what his point is. It goes on. He had this aching down in his bowels for the people that were around him. The aching. Now, I'm going to assume that includes the scribes and the Pharisees and everybody else. This aching in his bowels because they were harassed and helpless, okay? Harassed means to be mangled, ripped apart shredded, filleted. That's the implication of that word. So they are harassed from all sides. And I go, if you could just spiritually put on the eyes of God and see your boss, see your wife, see your husband, see your children, right? And you would say, oh my goodness, is this what's out there? Yes, there are things and people and forces and situation attempting to harass, fillet, skin alive, tear into pieces like a wild animal, ripping them apart, those people that God loves limb from limb. And so it's very graphic, and I want it to be graphic for you because spiritually you understand why his bowels ache because I want you to understand how Jesus feels when he watches you being beat and destroyed by the things that want to rip your life apart. Now on the outside you can look like this. On the outside, you can have a pocket full of money. On the outside, you can look like you have your life together. But spiritually, you might be being filleted, might be being ripped apart by those forces of wickedness that are attempting to destroy and invade your life, your circumstances, your family, your relationships, whatever they are. And as it rips you limb from limb, as it tears you apart, you begin to understand the bowels of Jesus are grieving, mourning, being thrown into this compassion for you, all right? Second one, and the phrase going helpless, uh, it really, it, it's, helpless is an okay, it really, like I showed you, literally means to grab a sheep 
and force it, throw it on its back. All right? So like a large animal, if you've ever seen some of the wildlife movies where they're grabbed and suddenly that little lamb or whatever it is is grabbed around the neck and the throat and it's held down there, it is thrown down. That's why they use the term in translation helpless because it means to be flat on your back. We even use that term ourselves where I have been flat on my back and helpless. I couldn't even hardly get out of bed or something like that when you've been so sick or in so much pain. And you understand that. So what God is revealing to us here is these sheep who God loves are being so ripped and torn, so much thrown flat on their back, that he is moved in his innermost being with compassion for them. And then he says this next point. All right? Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. Now you understand the source of those words and the power that he's communicating. He's going, if I can give you my eyes and you can see the harassed and thrown down in helplessness, even though the person looks real strong and confident, even though the person makes more money than you do, even though it may be your boss, even though it may be your own son or daughter when they get that stubborn look and say, I don't need you, I'm fine, I'm now 17, 22, 31, whatever it is, right? And they get that look in their eyes, and you see that look, that look of, you can't stop this, can you? And you see that helplessness, it goes ache down inside. I want to give you permission to ache. I want you to understand if Christ can ache for the likes of me, if he can ache for the pressures and the forces that are trying to shred me and shred my children and shred our families and everything else, if God can, Christ can ache for me, then it's okay for me to ache for my children. But when I started you off, one of the things I said, let's give God that back because there's a point where I can't carry. I can only do so much. It isn't like Bruce's job is to walk around aching for their kids. I have a ministry, I have a work to do, I have a, a place to stand, and I've got to be obedient to God. And so he says, you bring your sorrow, your pain, you lay it upon me, and you go, yes, Lord, that song that kind of focused us this morning, that calling that God lays upon our heart. So I want to give you permission to ache, but I also want to give you wisdom to do the thing you're supposed to do with the ache, right? Jesus didn't sit there and go, ooh, ooh, right, an ache. It says... He stepped up to the next thing. And he he commanded, directed, invited, appealed to the apostles. And he goes, he said, listen to me. The harvest out there is everywhere. We just don't have enough people to haul it in. And then he said, I want you on your face praying for the chases and other people to step up into these spots, to be called into ministry and to missionary work and to things that you haven't even considered. Why is it you think your retirement was supposed to be spent in Wisconsin living in the house you've lived in? How do you know God doesn't want you in South America or in the middle of Africa helping John or something else in their ministry and other things that they've got going? How do you know if you don't begin to seek after and let God work? So here's Jesus aching for these people, seeing the need, and then he lays it on you. I am calling harvesters out into the harvest. And he said, you need to be on your face asking God to send the men, the women, the children 
to rise up and grab the microphone. I want to suggest to you today, there might be five or ten or fifteen people in this room that God wants serving in ministry in ways they never considered before. Of letting go of one thing they thought they wanted to hang on to and doing that thing which God calls them to. Walking in a path you just never considered. One of the callings of God's life upon your heart is that sometimes you just stand there and you get a new set of eyes. I saw people and I saw pain and I saw the difficulty and I saw the hurt and God called me too. How many times have you been on the outside listening to somebody else's testimony when God is whispering to your spirit, I'm calling you and I'm speaking to you today. Can you join me in aching for the lost? Can you join me in seeing what Satan is doing to your friends and acquaintances and other people around you? Can you ache with me to the point, not where you walk around aching all day, but where you ache and you begin to act. You begin to move forward. You begin to carry on. I will go, Lord. I will let go, Lord, whatever it might be. I will, here I am, send me. Because that was ultimately what he was asking of his disciples. That was a sense. And here they are. What are they watching? All these people gathering around Jesus. These, these wolves that want to rip him apart. In the context, he talks about, I send you out like sheep among wolves. They're going to try and rip the flesh off your bones, right? Now you understand the context of that. They're going to want to rip the flesh off your bones, and I'm still going to send you out. And I'm still going to send you out. Because that's where the people that need to be saved are. That's where the people that need to be rescued are. And you and I have to understand that call of God is to bring about that change, that healing, that grace into the lives of those individuals. And so here's Jesus, willing to lead by example. I'll walk into this town, I'll bring about this healing, and this group of people will try to rip the skin off of me. I'll go to this town, bring about this mercy of forgiveness and, and power of God in this life, and this group of people will try to pick me up and throw me to the ground and keep me there. But then he stands back up and he says, no. And he continued that ministry. You understand, by example, he says, if that is the way you go, then you've done well. If you finally get ripped up and shredded or whatever else the process, then you have done well rescuing those that have fallen into that same thing. So as God completes this thought, I want you to just let the Spirit of God minister to your heart right now and bow your heads. Lord, uh, sometimes I pick up the grieving part pretty easy. Sometimes, Lord, it's just grieving, though, about my stuff. My disappointments, my hurts, my difficulties, my fears, my children, my extended family, my whatever it is. And the me, myself, and the my of it all is in the middle of it. Jesus, today, help me to ache. Ache for the people in this congregation. Help me to ache for the parents who long for their children to know you again. Help me to ache, Lord, for those friends and acquaintances that we know that aren't who they're supposed to be, whose lives are solely sifting out like sand. Help me to ache for them, Jesus. Help me to see the enemy picking them up, throwing them to the ground, and with a vicious uh, foot upon their throat or uh, fangs around their neck, just uh, holding them down there, beating them. Help me to ache, Lord. And then, like Jesus, first teach me to pray. 
Teach me to pray that there would be a harvester sent for that friend, for that son, for that wife, for that person who's uh, so beat up and put down and hurt. Lord, give me your eyes and then send me to my knees. And then, Lord, don't let me stay on my knees, but having given the burden back to you, raise me back up with such a clear determination that I go to my portion of the field and gather the harvest in accordance with your will. You may not have sent me, Lord, to save the world, but you have sent me to harvest around the places that you're sending me. And then, Lord, I pray for a greater vision to fall upon our congregation, a greater view to fall upon the hearts of children, to fall upon the hearts of young men and women, a calling way beyond anything they've ever considered. I pray that they would hear and receive the call of your call upon their hearts, Lord, to become those people in missionary positions, in places of business and government, in law, in whatever place they might be, places here and locally or across the far places of the world, that they would hear and understand your call, Lord. And I'm praying, Lord, as that call was going out, that you would really call us, Jesus. Father, any time, make us ready. Give us a heart that we ache with those who ache. And then, Lord, give us that determination and that toughness to enter into the harvest and rescue those who are ripped and shredded. Make us one in spirit to do that according to your will, Jesus. We pray this all in your name.